I think I'm buzzed. (laughs) (laughs) It is 9.18 (laughs) a.m. Part of the Varden podcast. Part of the reason we're doing the Varden podcast is because with the brand that we're building, as we're drifting from tradition, the way that we're helping people to know about us is not necessarily saying, hey, we're this and we're that, but we're identifying people that are our people, people that are drifting from tradition in their personal lives and their professional lives and all the things they're doing, not just to do things different, but because they think things could be done a better way and they're not afraid to do that. And so Thank you so much for being here. Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank Honored you. to be here. Absolutely. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I'm Jordan Abner. I'm the secretary. I kind of help everybody with everything they need here at Martin. <laughs> An yeah. excellent secretary you are. Yes, <laughs> a very good secretary. And uh, I'm Jordan Wayman, and I run the uh, sales ship, and so I am the captain of sales here at Florida. Captain? Yes. All right. Got our invoice in today. Uh, congratulations, our big, our big one. <laughs> um, I'm Carson, and I uh, I'm Rover. I do everything. Yeah, that's me. Yep. So like everything, everything, <laughs> everything. I'm glad to know that. Yep. I have some things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this time for me to introduce myself? Time for you yeah. to introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Matt Frisbee, and uh, I'm from Southern California originally. Um, grew up there, loved it. Thought I'd never ever leave this great state of California. Happy to be out. Fell in love with Utah. Um, raised my family out here, and it's been a blast. I went to school out there, worked out there, started a business out here, and uh, been kind of doing things. So I'm really grateful to be here. I love Varden, love the brand. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Um, it's I met Matt several years ago. Man, it feels like it was longer ago than it actually was. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. A lot of miles in between. A lot of miles in between. Um, since I've got to know Matt, and what's interesting is I've met a lot of other people that know Matt when he's not in the room, and everyone says the same thing about him. They just have so much good to say. And he does things a little bit differently. And one of the things that he does that is a common thread throughout every single experience I've had of people that know Matt is they have a personal relationship with him. They're not just like, oh yeah, I kind of know him and whatever. They they have specific stories that they'll tell me portions of, and I think that's something that you do, Matt, really well. Is you connect deeply with people. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I love to talk. Yeah, well, <laughs> and you're good at it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, a little bit of Matt's background so that he doesn't have to toot his own horn, but he was previous CMO at Little Giant Ladders, um, and maybe we'll we'll let you toot your own horn a little bit. What was the revenue when you started there and the revenue when you left? It was uh, so Little Giant was right about to make its second big step um, in the world. They uh, were a local brand in Utah in the 70s, had a great run for a bit as a small local shop, and then had a big jump after that recession and did um, an infomercial, grew a ton, and then shrunk again. They got down to about $40 million and I came back right as they were rising, and they started getting retail contracts with big box and they needed a chief marketing officer to officiate and substantiate their marketing. So about 120 million when I came in and we left at about 180, almost 200. And then the market did its thing again. But we had a successful sale in the private equity and accomplished all the goals of the brand. And it was a great experience. You think of uh, like the most boring products you could sell and ladders is probably up there. <laughs> um, when I got in, I was like, how do you make ladders sexy? And uh, we had a good laugh about it, but we had fun. I learned a ton and a lot of respect for the trades. 
So we spent a lot of time with our core group, the trade professionals, and just so much respect for that industry. And you could see the, you know, their need, you know, and be able to service that through ladders even. So it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And we'll dig into that a little bit more. I had the opportunity to go to the factory with you a couple times. Yeah. Got the, fac or got the factory tour and um, did all that. So we'll get into that a little bit more. Great. But a little bit more on Matt's background. Prior to that, he had his own agency, Art and War. Mm -hmm. um, and Little Giant was actually one of the clients there. Yeah. He did a bunch of other things. Um, he stepped in as um, kind of a CMO type role for Blendtech and for several other companies. Prior to that, you were at Disney. Yeah. Actually formally trained as an artist and you were looking to do that your whole life. We'll get into all of kind of your whole career, how it kind of evolved and changed. And um, it's been a really cool path. It's been great to know you for the past little bit and I'm excited for everyone else to get, get to know you a little bit. Thanks, better. right back at you, man. Absolutely. It's the glorious white beards that we have. That's right. <laughs> Mine's more white than yours. Well, I haven't We're too young to have white beards, bro. I put this in just to make me look more distinct. Oh, you did a good uh, job. Yeah. I can see the paint now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only that was the case. I also plucked the hair out of my Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel balanced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, um, we're going to kind of talk about everything from personal life to professional life and kind of start early on. Um, I know that you kind of needed to grow up pretty quick at a young age. Do you want to kind of talk us through a little bit of that as a teenager, kind of having to also be an adult? Yeah. I had a pretty normal childhood. Um, played sports, went to school, had great friends. I grew up in this little cul-de-sac that was the sandlot, like barbecues and 4th of July and fireworks and the kid who played too much baseball and became successful or whatever. Um, but uh, I became a dad at 17. And that was a real rough patch, you know, making that decision and and thinking that you had failed and your parents being, you know, embarrassed of the situation, trying to make the most of it. But um, knowing that you were going to be a dad, um, it just changed every decision I made at that point. And there was no more messing around. Every minute mattered. And uh, when I went to school, I paid for college. I I didn't miss a class, you know, and I didn't skip a step. And I certainly made a million mistakes, but it just changed that responsibility. Like I'm responsible for this beautiful little thing. And my daughter Michaela became the motivation for, for everything I did. And after I became a dad, it wasn't shortly thereafter I got hired at Disney and actually brought me a great sense of like comfort. Like, oh my gosh, I work for this great company. It's gonna be all right, you know? And um, I had always dreamed of being a Disney artist as a young man. And so when I got hired, it was kind of a weird situation how I got hired. I uh, was in the Disney College program. It was like this thing they did with local schools. And uh, it was a super fun thing. They'd take you on like Thursdays and the graduation was like after nine weeks. And then you did a uh, you know graduation ceremony at the resort and followed some friends to this audition and I had no idea what was going on. I was just kind of hanging out with some friends and I showed up at this audition and I was like, what are we doing here? You know, and like, oh, we're auditioning, you know, for the entertainment department. I'm like, what does that mean? And after a couple hours of being in this dance hall with them, I ended up getting cast. It was like <laughs> 15 available positions and like 300 people auditioning. And my friends did not get cast and I've never done choreography in my life. And so there I was like on the high school basketball team and I just got cast in a Disney show. So I'm back to my coach and I was like, hey, and he's like, I super don't care. <laughs> so I had to wait a second before I could start. We were mid-season, you know, and uh, so I ended up having a great job at Disney, but you know, knowing that like I had to work full time and go to school full time, I was super pumped that if I did work somewhere, it was at Disney. 
And so uh, I had great training there. Got to perform in some amazing shows. Met incredible people. Uh, what an incredible company. I mean, talk about a brand, you know, that lives what it says. And it was just so interesting. You know, you work at these weird jobs as a kid, as an employee, but like they refer to their employees as cast members and their customers as guests. And it started this different thinking about how you should run a business. And like their their benefits book was like the size of the scriptures, you know. And I was like, <laughs> this is awesome. You know, discounts everywhere and. It was a great place to work while I was going to school because when I was an entertainer, half the day was break so that you could be rested for the next show. Well, I could get my homework done at work. So when I went home, I was home. And uh, you have so much you know, available time for your kids. And um, because I was so young with a dad, my daughter became like the mascot for my group of buddies. And it really helped. It really helped me to feel like yeah, I was welcomed and accepted in a difficult situation. And so... Yeah, it was a little bit different. It was not traditional. Yeah, for sure. Where did you go to school when you were doing all that? So I went to Cypress Junior College in Cypress, California, and then I finished my undergrad at Cal State Fullerton. Okay, nice. Yeah, believe it or not, I've been on that campus. Oh, you have? Yeah. Great campus. Love yeah. it. Yeah, nice. Well, that's awesome. So how long were you at Disney? What did that look like? Why did you leave Disney? With uh, You hear everything about Disney, and it sounds like what you're saying confirms it. Like They really do have a very specific voice yeah and they eat sleep breathe it they live it yeah and i was all in i i loved everything about walt and was huge disney fan living so close um i was there from 1999 to 2006 and i had graduated college while there and then i had gotten an opportunity to apply to the disney art department which supported uh disney shows in the parks um, uh, Disney movie premieres with Disney Imagineering and things like that. So Imagineering would send us stuff. Disney show producers would send us stuff. And it was a fabrication shop that was off property called Olive. And uh, it was so fun. Like, you know, one day you're aging swords for the Pirates of the Caribbean. The next day you're painting a backdrop for a Cinderella photo shoot or whatever, right? But there you were a Disney artist and you'd follow the instructions. And um, I was like a junior artist and the guys that were there were unbelievable some of the most talented artists I've ever came in contact with. And I learned a ton just being shoulder to shoulder. So I would sometimes go and install everything. I would do the art on it. I worked in the sign shop. Uh, we did some carpentry light support. Um, the prop shop had all the coolest things you could imagine. But I did that for almost four years. So three years as a performer and four years as a Disney artist. And I thought I died and gone to heaven. I was like, cool, I'm finished, right? This is what I went to school for. And it was neat to be doing the job you were going to school for while you were going to school so you could speak from real experience. But it was. It was a great company. Um, I ended up leaving because I had a opportunity to work in Hollywood. Um, a friend had a script that we went and pitched, and somehow someone said yes. And that turned into about four years of time in Hollywood that turned into nothing. Um, but it was a lot of fun uh, being in that world and being out pitching and selling scripts. Yeah. I feel like we just kind of skipped over Disney just a little bit. Like, what's a crazy story? What's something that happened there that most people don't even know about or something that you did that was different? Yeah, uh, different was every day, <laughs> especially in the art department because there's no, like, operation, right? You're responding to things that are going on that come in as special requests. So we were part of special events, part of shows, and so we got something different every day. Like one day you're dressing for King Louis' throne, you know, and you're getting that out and re-aging it. Um, the funnest one that I did was the Pirates of the Caribbean movie premiere. It was the longest red carpet in the history of Hollywood. 
And when we got the, you know, instructions to do that, it activated the whole shop, you know. And so there was all these artisans doing all these things. And it was just so rad to see, like, these, you know, half pirate ships that were sculpting out of foam that got covered in fiberglass and painted and all the processes that went into it. And um, we had to age a lot of wine barrels. And when you open up a wine barrel and dive inside and work inside of it, you come out and you're like, I think I'm buzzed. (laughs) It is 9.18 (laughs) a.m. And um, it was just fun. It was super unique. And then when we installed that show, the the premiere, if you watch the parts of the Caribbean film, the first one on DVD on the, the features, you can see the movie premiere and a whole bunch of people running around. I'm one of those dots running around and installing that red carpet premiere. And so uh, most Disney employees won't install a, a movie premiere. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, that was a ton of fun. Really enjoyed because that was stuff like that constantly. With with you working there and doing stuff like that, do you get to meet a lot of like the actors like Johnny Depp or any of that? Or nope. do you just set it all up and then they, they do their... Yeah, so like the press team brings the celebrities... Um, we got to see him from a distance, but by the time the celebrities show up, we were all so dang tired. I just wanted to sleep. We'd been up for like three days straight. You know, yeah. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you did a great job in the movie, pal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so they're there for the the paparazzi. They're there for the press. And, yeah. you know, that's not our function. Our function is to set it up. Yeah. Make the show happen. So that's cool. cool. There's a whole nother four years of Hollywood. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that. I mean, that was kind of crazy. Tell us kind of the concept. I know I've heard just a little bit about kind of what you've done there. Yeah. But uh, what movie it turned into and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you could have been The Rock and... Oh, obviously. I mean, especially with his physique. You know, Dwayne Johnson, you know, I, I gave him that opportunity and I'm happy for him. <laughs> but seriously, so uh, lifelong dream to work in Hollywood. Like, uh, could not believe that an opportunity presented itself where it could. So Cal State Fullerton sent me to Comic-Con to represent the school to attract artists. And I went to Comic-Con San Diego with a booth. And uh, during the exhibitor time, I was able to walk around and talk to people. My buddy had given me a script to help storyboard, uh, just a script he wrote. It was a short film and it was actually a pretty terrible <laughs> script, but we were just you know playing around. And I went to this forum for independent films that Dark Horse Comics was putting on, Dark Horse Entertainment. So we watched and they had some independent films and I was like, huh, these seem kind of low budget. Like it's, this feels like our film, you know? And so after it was, after the forum was over, uh, Mike Richardson, the CEO was talking to people, giving advice and it was wonderful. And so I walked up and I was like, how does someone like me pitch to someone like you? And he's like, well, how's next Tuesday? And I was like, no. Oh, okay. You know? And so <laughs> legit, I called in sick to Disney. Don't tell my mom. Um, but I, uh, went, we went and pitched and we were so nervous and they gave us some great advice and invited us back and went through the development cycle and they said, you're probably looking at like a million, million and a half for a budget for something like this. And, um, Chris Tung was the, um, kind of vice president of the company and he gave us a lot of great advice. And so we were in over our heads, huge, like huge in over our heads. And so they were helping us take it and package it. And so we had a lot to learn. It wasn't great, um, but we went through the change of hands here and change of hands there. And so when you're out pitching, you're like a salesperson. You just take a script and that's your product and you go and pitch your product, right? And then to these different shops who are like, can we distribute this? Can we distribute this? And and so um, it kept, that project was called The Gun Show. And so Marcus Castillo wrote it and um, there kept being better versions of it. We eventually ended up at um, Rosen Oaks Production. 
So it was Linda uh, Obst and Mark Rosen that had that. So Linda Obst did like Adventures in Babysitting, Contact. Um, so I worked with Matthew McConaughey and all that. And so Linda liked our concept, but Mark Rosen kind of took over. And so um, we took it from Dark Horse Entertainment, started working with Mark. And that's when we really started having uh, meaningful meetings. We met with Spyglass Entertainment and and all the others. Georgeville Entertainment eventually came from that. And so um, we got to the point in about 2006 where that script had really kind of come to fruition. And um, we ended up pitching it at Overbrook Media and they said yes. And so yes to developing it. And so they paid us some producer fees and getting a film to the point of like what you wrote to what gets shot to what gets distributed are night and day. And so we, I actually had the opportunity with Mark Rosen to uh, very like slightly work on the Interstellar script. And so Jonah Nolan had brought that film to Linda. And you know, so when you get in Hollywood, you end up meeting a lot of people that work on everything. It's a small town and it's hard. It's really hard. They're an incredibly talented people doing incredible, incredible work. And we met amazing people throughout that process. But after four years, um, we got to the point where the writer's strike was right in the middle of that four years. And it was just not, we were not, we didn't have enough clout. We didn't have enough energy to keep going. And so it really stifled it. So after our film got green lit, um, our writers had to go pick it <laughs> for like ever. And we weren't able to move forward and it really killed our deal. And so they call that development hell. So I kind of gloss over Hollywood because it was development hell. A lot of great scripts, a lot of great things. Um, I ended up writing a script um, that got into some legal trouble um, because it was stolen from me. And uh, it just, that happens all the time. They call it the, the town of broken dreams, you know, because there's so much emotion when you write a script. There's so much emotional investment and to have it taken from you is heartbreaking. But if you just pull back and realize like, it's just product. Right, if you're selling a hat, if you're selling a ladder, you're selling a blender, it's just product. And you gotta find the right home for it. And so I learned incredible sales lessons, I learned incredible product lessons, storytelling, um, all the things I talked about, the thick skin. And so I'm super grateful that I did what I came to do. It didn't end the way I thought, but that's probably like most ventures. Um, but I grew a ton and I learned in that moment that I could do anything I wanted. I learned that nothing was impossible, that if I can come to this town, and sell things, whether anyone watches it or not, I can do anything. And so we sold a film. Uh, we had a $15 million budget for it. It fell apart in development hell, but we did that. Um, and so it was super hard. You know, and everyone that was around you was like, dude, what are you doing? It'll never happen. What are you, like, why are you trying? Like, it's not possible. And when they signed the deal, you know, we all went out to dinner that night and it felt like Ocean's Eleven. Like, like we had robbed the casino. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Um, really grateful for my friend Marcus Castillo, Matt Worley, Josh Reeson, Ron Pertula, Brian Taylor, um, Kenny, and these guys. They just, everyone put so much work into making that happen. And that night that we had dinner, we had our spouses with us, and we felt like we had won everything, like we were invincible. And uh, no one can take that moment away from us. It happened. Um, but then the truth, you know, you, it's product, all right? And so it, it felt wonderful to, to make that happen. And to know that I could do it again, right? And it doesn't have to be in Hollywood. It could be lots of things. And so it gave me motivation and confidence that I could do anything I set my mind to. Because if all it takes is hard work, then I'm in. Yeah. Right? I can work hard. Yeah, so it was good. good. So that's a ton to have that and then to decide to leave <laughs> Hollywood. 
how did you make that decision? How did you say, this is what I'm going to do next? Like, talk to us a little bit about that. That's, <laughs> that's a ton, right? Yeah. Um, the truth is, is that that time cost us a lot of money and a lot of my time that I was not creating wealth for my family, providing for my family. And so um, I had a full-time job. I was working to keep the lights on. It just wasn't enough. And so we ran out of time and resources, and I, I had had enough. Um, I had hurt enough, and I was ready for us to do something different. We lived in California at the time, and all of our family had moved to Utah at that time. Um, my wife's father was sick. There was just a lot of things that were needing us to be somewhere else. I thought, you know what? Like, let's go. So we, we actually we prayed about it. We got on our knees and like, where should we go? And the thought was to move to Utah. And I thought, what the crap are we going to do in Utah? No, people don't work in Utah, you know. <laughs> and uh, they just have this restaurant called the Purple Turtle. And uh, it's disgusting. So we can't live there, right? <laughs> I don't um, know what that is. Yeah, yeah I don't want to know. <laughs> Excellent shakes, by the way. <laughs> so um, I had been to Utah a ton as a kid. I just didn't understand the business climate. And I couldn't have been more wrong. And so our family needed a change. So we moved to Utah and I was wrapping up film projects that we were working on and um, just kind of getting things where they needed to be. And when I got to Utah, I was blown away at the business environment. I was blown away at the entrepreneurial spirit that was in Utah and how much there is to do out here. There's so much outdoor activity for us. That was I hiked Tempanogos that summer and I got to the top of that mountain. I was like, whoa, you know, there's so much to do here. And immediately we were lost in outdoor, right? The adventures that could be doing out that way. And I was introduced to uh, my second business partner, Ryan Sharp, who wanted to start a marketing agency. And I was like, bro, I can't even spell SEO. Like, what do you want me to do? You know? And he says, well, I want you to come help sell. He's like, I'm afraid to talk to people. And I'm like, oh, I'm not. He's like, I know. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I see. And uh, um, I kind of embraced this part of me that was good at selling. And I really um, fell in love with entrepreneurs. I fell in love with small business owners that had these absolutely bananas dreams and they were going to do it and many of them were doing it and i fell in love with what marketing was because that's when i learned that marketing is just storytelling with an operation behind it it was like this film that could repeat itself you know and i, I fell in love with small business and being able to tell brand stories and so it took me a minute to figure out the connection between marketing and storytelling um, but i found my jam I, I loved it. I loved entrepreneurship. I loved business networking. And uh, we started building a marketing agency at that point. And we went from nothing, two people in his basement. And we got to the point, um, you know, we had about 15 employees and we were doing big brand work and we had a bunch of specialty. We kept a small crew on purpose because we wanted deep expertise, but uh, it was a ton of fun. So that agency was art and war. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I've seen kind of behind the curtain a little bit with some of that as we've had deeper discussions on some of the strategy and those types of things. I wish we had enough time to get into all that. Sure. But, <laughs> man, like you said, I love that you mentioned that it has an operation behind it. A lot of people think that it's just storytelling and it's just all the fun stuff. And not that operation isn't fun, but the operation is the stuff that most people don't see. Right. But when that's dialed, that's when things can really accelerate. So, anyways, I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it really is. It's hard work. <laughs> it's hard work. Uh, and then, so after uh, Art and War, uh, when, what was after that? What would you move on to next after? Or is that still going? Yeah, or? we kind of blazed through 10 years. I don't know how much time you want to get into that. But um, 
Art and War was kind of the third version of that same entity, the same EIN. Um, there was some, there was a brand change. There was an acquisition in there. And so I had uh, partnered with two guys, Derek Kopp and Jed Ivey, who were incredible creatives. So we did fractional CMO work where we acted as a chief marketing officer with other brands. And so like Jane.com and others, um, I took on a CMO role at Blendtec as an agency owner. And I liked that a lot because I could play a strategy role for a brand, but be peers owner to owner. And that's a very different thing for most CMOs. Most CMOs have to report to a CEO, but as a business owner, there was a different respect to each other. Um, and so I brought the agency talent to, to Blendtec and that went really well. Still owned the agency. That came up again when we were working with Little Giant Ladders that we were doing strategy work for. And they said, hey, we want you to work full time. Well, anyone that works in marketing, if you own the business, you get that offer from all of your clients. It's a great compliment, right? They're like, hey, we really like you. Can you, can you be here full time? And you want to because you're like, oh, this is awesome, right? And you're working together and you're solving problems together. But little giant sat us down and they, you know, he explained the, the opportunity to me and I really fell in love with the CEO, Ryan Moss. True visionary. He really reorganized the company with Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, and just had a great vision. Uh, I really agreed with his vision. I shared his vision. Got to meet Art Wing and the Wing family that had built Little Giant. And I thought, man, this will be really hard to sell ladders, right? To market ladders. Um, and as an industry, I didn't know anything about. So I agreed to leave my agency and at the time, all of my senior people were getting offers, as well as my partner. We thought, man, this is kind of a serendipitous moment that everyone's going to get a personal upgrade, but it will have to close a business. And the thing with marketing agencies is you can spin them up and close them at any moment, right? Mm -hmm. There's not like a, a contract or like a, you know, something that's on the line necessarily. You're selling time. I thought, if I want to do this again, I can, and I'm good at it. And it, it wouldn't be difficult to do that. It would just take some organizing. So... I haven't ever gone in-house like this before, so let's try it. And I loved what Ryan said he, uh, when, during the interview process. He said, do you think that you can do this? You know? And I said, of course I can. He's like, I dare you to. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, I loved that challenge. And if you want to get me to do anything, like, tell me I can't do it. <laughs> right? And then it's just like blood washes over my eyes and I, you know do things I shouldn't, right? But the challenge to get them, Little Giant was kind of the number three, number four player in the market. And their ambition was to be um, the best brand, but like the still kind of number two size. And I thought that's an interesting challenge. How do we get there? And so incredible team at Little Giant of engineers and sales folks and operators and purchasers. And so we built an incredible team and grew the company a lot. And it was a really wonderful experience to be an executive in an organization that size, sell it into private equity. We had help uh, with a group that came in, did some consulting with us to make that transaction possible. But it was really neat to watch um, the, the founder and the CEO spend their entire life in one business and, and observe them getting that moment, right? It was 35, 40 years in the making for these guys. And I'd only been there for year and a half, two years. And so I was really honored to, to be there for that experience. And um, it was wonderful. It was such a steep learning curve and it was a ton of work to get ready for investors to come in and how the transaction worked. So it was an incredible amount of education, but I'm really proud of those guys that they had the discipline and patience for that long a period of time to be able to experience that event. 
Um, and now they're doing lots of great things still. They're working with that private equity group to do uh, some other strategic initiatives. And so we came in to accomplish the goal, we did. It was exciting to start and finish something that hard. And um, it's so fun to go into these retail boxes and see that we've taken market share, that we have replaced our competitors. And that's a everyone effort, right? It, it was everyone following a vision and seeing it all the way through. And it was just a couple of weeks ago, we I remember the meetings that were like, we'd never have that. that. That's impossible to get that there. It's there, you know, and it's it was years in the making. And, you know, it's just like I said, like nothing's impossible. You just have to never give up. Yeah. How did you approach going in to a legacy organization and learn, but also bring your talents to it? So you hmm. can say, hey, this is what we're going to do, bringing it from where it's at to where it's going to go. Yeah, that's a great question, especially a family-owned business. There's an established culture. Um, the average tenure of the employees there was like 22 years. And that blew my head right off my shoulders, especially in this market where the average tenure is two to three years. <laughs> um, and so that, there was really a legacy that was there. Uh, the Wing family had created that legacy. Um, Ryan uh, had been the CEO, I think, since 2012. Uh, right when the economy was kind of coming into its thing and it, it just kind of fell apart in Utah and he, he was given a difficult situation and so they had all been through hell together and so to come into a place where that level of trust existed and you're the new person because right. I was the first of several new executives that came in that was kind of migrating from a family-owned family-managed to a family-owned professionally-managed eventually to a professionally-owned professionally-managed it was hard but Ryan's a great teacher Art was a great mentor um, and my peers taught us a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I became um, very aware of, of how difficult it is, no matter the size of company you have. I think of the sleepless nights I had as a business owner, like, are we going to make payroll? It's the same thing at that size. Like, oh, my gosh, is, is that invoice going to show up? Right? Are they going to pay that bill? And uh, you had to learn by doing it, by getting in and listening. Um, one of the big things at Little Giant was, was listening. Um, Ryan said... The largest room in this building is the room for improvement. And I loved that. I love that he felt that way because we all acted that way. And so um, it took a minute to, to do it differently and to be an owner and then go be an employee. My dad taught me something I'll never, ever forget. And this is probably the major reason I went and did it. As he said, the best leaders are excellent followers. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go prove this out. And I'm super grateful for my father's advice because I wanted to be an excellent follower. And so I would, I would meet with Ryan and I was like, am I executing your vision? Like every week, am I executing your vision? And after about a year and a half, my ego crept back in for sure, right? I definitely wanted things my way. Yep. And uh, we had to talk about it. And he was, he was a great mentor that way. So it's important that you trust the vision of the leader. Yeah, I love that. That's cool. I, I, it's making me think of sales strategies in almost becoming the customer to get them to want what we have to offer. So that's cool. I like that. Um, one question I have for you is, I know you're an avid golfer, right? Love it. Yeah. Love really it. bad at it, but love it. Hey, that's <laughs> sick. I wish I was good. Yep. But uh, what kind of lessons has the golf course taught you into in bringing into your, your professional life? Um, and into business, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, that's funny that golf, especially. 
as a business owner, you get invited to golf a lot. People want to spend a large amount of time with you on a course because you can talk for four hours. Um, I grew up poor. Uh, I grew up in Southern California playing sports. Um, and I did not see golf as a sport. I judged it harshly. I hated the <laughs> industry. I hated the vibe. I hated the culture. And so I openly mocked it when I went to courses. And there was that like first like awkward laugh like, ha, ha, ha. And then as I kept going, they were not laughing anymore. And I was like, oh, this isn't funny. All right, I better stop. Um, I went to my first golf course with jeans, Chuck Taylors, a t-shirt. And my homie Terry was like, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean what am I doing? He's like, you can't wear that here. And I'm like, wear what here? You know? And so we went to the pro shop and I spent like $200 on terrible shorts and a terrible polo. And I was grumpy, dude. <laughs> I was super grumpy. And what made it worse was how awful I was that first year of golf. And so this is about seven years ago. And uh, it's so freaking hard. Hardest game in the world. Oh, my gosh. Um, I can pick up most sports pretty quickly, right? You, you get some basic things, the fundamentals, and you can dig into it, right? Knowing you're limited, right? You can't shift from, like, baseball to, you know, basketball that fast. But the foundation is there. You're like, ball goes in hoop. Ball goes in field, right? But the, the very, like, minute things that make a huge difference in golf made me, like, mad, like, I had to learn it, you know, and I was terrible for about four years, and I was a part of a business networking group that would take us to Pebble Beach, to Bandon Dunes. Um, Logan Wilkes and Jeff Russ created a group called Corporate Alliance, and um, when you go to these places and you're spending a lot of money to travel to nice golf resorts, sucking does not help you. And when you're golfing with folks who have prepared their whole lives to go play at Pebble, it's their bucket list and you're like I don't even know what this place is you know like it it was a little bit embarrassing for me to be as terrible I was as I was and so I was really um, drawn to the level of mental discipline these guys had to be able to be as good as golf they were and that captured my attention and so golf takes an enormous amount of discipline to be level-headed and calm for four hours and a course that changes everywhere you play holes that are ridiculous to get to. And I think Robin Williams said it best. Like he used this little stick to hit this little ball <laughs> you know, 537 yards away to get into this little cup, you know? And so the, the discipline, um, the mechanics it takes to be good at golf, uh, really mirror how hard it is to be good at business. It takes so much discipline. It takes so much determination. And so I really fell in love with it because I felt like, man, there's a lot of um, elements of this game that mirror what it takes to be successful in anything. And I have never been that disciplined. And so the last three years, I've been super committed to getting better. And my handicap's down to 13. Hopefully it stays. That's, you know, super weekend warrior golf. But, uh, you know, it was hard to get there, man. Like, I'm super proud of that number, <laughs> you know. And I think we all want to be a scratch golfer, but that takes like five days a week. You know, and uh, my kids are not having that. <laughs> cool. Good question. Thank you. Um, I uh, I guess one of my so I mean you've been all over like you worked at Disney, you've worked uh, you know with uh, with marketing in an agency and working with different companies and and growing them and and doing marketing. You know, do you have one? And I know you you just told us your cool story with Paramount and being able to pitch. Uh, them and they accepted it and it, it fell apart quickly but is there any other like products or companies that was 
some of the most fun that you had or one of the funnest projects that you've worked on? Yeah, there was um, a project that we, there's two that, that stick out. There was a project we did with Blendtec and it was uh, the, the Gatorade fuel stations. And so I had the opportunity to garner a sponsorship with Tobias Harris, who's on the 76ers now, and he was the Clippers at the time. And I uh, got to meet his dad slash agent, and um, we were doing this big effort around sport. We were launching the, the Blendtec, the Fuel Cup, where you're able to fill a cup kind of like um, a Nutribullet, but like much, much better, and flip it over, and it's ready to go, and it has a lid that pops on, and you can go work out, right? And so um, worked with the engineering team on the product um, that they had gotten ready, and we were getting ready for a launch. And so we worked with Gatorade, got to fly out and meet with the team at Gatorade, they're actually installing a fuel station at the University of Utah, right? They do these all over the country for the Rams, for NBA, NFL, MLB. It just happened that their next one was in Utah, you know? So coordinating with the Gatorade team, we got to go to the University of Utah, and this fuel station was incredible. It was so freaking fun to, like, meet with nutritionists and the, you know, the representatives at Utah, all the, um, you know, the coaches that were there. And so we were installing what we called the Blendtec Stealth, this series of blenders that they were going to be using. And we brought like 50 cups that the players would cycle through and probably 100 jars. And, you know, we were looking at all this fueling and the weight room was amazing. And it was, it was just cool to be a part of sport. Uh, the next one we were doing was the LA Rams. I was able to be there for the LA Clippers. So we got to go to the Clippers facility and be a part of that. And we got to do a photo shoot with Tobias. And uh, it was just a blast. I was like, where am I? What am I doing? You know, and... Um, as a kid, I thought I'd be in the NBA, you know, but then I got to 6'2 and stopped. So <laughs> that, that uh, you know, that future didn't happen. But it was a cool moment to be able to take some photos there with Tobias and send it to my dad. And I'm like, I didn't play in the NBA, Dad, but I, I made more of my free throws than Tobias did today. So. <laughs> <laughs> that means something. Right? That's really cool. Uh, and his dad and I, we were all there for the shoot. His dad was teasing me, you know, or teasing Tobias that I had made more. And Yeah. Uh, it was so fun. It was a super highlight of my career to be able just to have a fun. Um, so Tobias and I kind of became friends through that. And uh, I'm, he's such a polite guy. The Harris family is a real, real wonderful family. They're just such incredible people. Yeah, that's cool. That's really fun. So, With all these things that you've been able to accomplish, what are you wanting to do over the next 10 years, 20 years? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, having owned a business, learning a lot, having worked in the business, learning a lot, um, I want to launch brands. I want to help employees reach their full potential. And so I love what Barton is doing, drifting from tradition and seeing – uh, brands like this come to life. I want to be a part of brands coming to life, launching my own brands, launching, you know, continue to help people. So I'm consulting again, and I, I love solving problems. And I realize I just love it, and I'm going to stay in that space. I'm working on a technology as well. Um, it's an apprentice technology that helps organizations to think about skills. And so you'll have seen Moneyball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you get into any business, how you get there is your people. And I think of like what makes your top performer your top performer. And I think there's an imperfect understanding of perfection. And I really want to like break open with skills and help people see their capabilities and maximize skill development through apprenticeships in professional environments, not just the trades or the medical field. And so I'm hoping that this technology will help a lot of companies that I own and that we're able to you know, develop each other and, and use a better understanding of how we all got here. I think that 
the last hundred years, we've gotten so used to like, you know, computers or cheap labor, and we've really devalued the human experience. I think of when a layoff happens, companies value the salary of the individual more than their mind, and and that really doesn't sit well with me. And uh, a, a business has a responsibility to its community and its people that it lives with, that it it can't just fluctuate labor like that, right? But the, the world we live in, like that's common. We expect that there's like a little bit of trouble. Everybody's gone, and it creates so much disruption in an, in an economy, in a marketplace, and in people's homes. We don't think of the impact that has. So, I want to get this technology built that gets people learning from each other, and I want to launch ongoing businesses with that technology as the backbone of the operation. That's really cool. And with that too, my last question that I have um, for you is: there like a is there like a Matt Frisbee content of sales or a Matt Frisbee book or or or, or like what what do you what do you use for like content to keep learning and keep selling and keep learning? Because you know you went to school, you know, and but now like continually, um, do, is there books that you read or do you have your own literature that you use? And, yeah, no. Um, I have been recommended so many great books over the years. Um, Audible has been the way I've digested that. Um, I love books on habits. I love books on um, Start With Why. Simon Sinek is one of my favorite authors. Um, there's so many great authors out there. Ryan Holiday, Courage is Calling, Obstacle is the Way, Discipline is Destiny. I got to meet Ryan Holiday uh, at an event. Uh, incredible guy. Total introvert, but did a great job speaking on stage. And that really meant a lot to me, actually to see how he got through his introvertedness and presented still. And um, so I had a photo with Ryan. I started writing a book and I finished chapter one and I'm like, damn, this is hard. <laughs> this is really hard. So I've outlined a book and I stopped writing it because it's not done. There's a lot of the theories in the book that I want to prove before I write about them. And so I don't have an ego in it. I hope that if I offer a book out there that um, it has proof to my theories, not just theories for the sake of theories. Um, even though the theories are sound and I can see them used in other places, I want to prove that they're true. And so I'm in the middle of doing that right now with some of the businesses I've launched. I would say that most of it came true in some of the experiences I mentioned before. Um, but that book is called Art and War, Transforming Businesses into Brands. Mm. So I hope to finish that here soon, but I want to prove a couple more theories that I have in there before I write it. But my current favorite book of all time is a book called The Master Key System. And uh, it's deep, it's out there a little bit, but what I like about it is it takes self-mastery to a whole new level. It's not a linear read, it's an action book. Um, but like the first chapter is about stillness. The second chapter is about like control of the thoughts. The third chapter is controlling your mind, or controlling your emotions. And the fourth chapter is about you know being a, situationally aware. And it, it gives you these exercises to repeat. You can't go to the next chapter until you have completed oh. it. So I am on month four of chapter 17. Mm. So I have listened to chapter 17 for the last four months, and it is real good. 28 chapters in the book, um, but it is like the Rockefellers used it. Um, most of the giants of, of the 20th century used the master key system. So Charles F. Hanel was the author of it, and uh, the book, The Secret, took chapter four and wrote a whole book on chapter four oh. and left the rest of it out. Oh, So it is about uh, self-mastery and, and being a master of, of, of everything about you 
in a, in a, like a, a heightened way. So that's mm. my current favorite book. Okay, cool. Sweet. Well, hey, thanks for sharing. That's, that's, that's all the questions I have. Do you guys have any? I, I'm out of questions. I, I sit in there and just listening to you and my mind is just turning. And Uh-oh. That's why I, <laughs> that means I awesome. bored you. <laughs> well, we could talk all day and we typically do talk all day. We do, don't we? <laughs> we do. Um, I do have one last question for the podcast. Though. Yeah. Where we are looking for people like you that are doing things differently and clearly from your track record, you're doing things in a way that you feel is best to take on a challenge, not the easy way but because it's what you feel is right. Who are a couple other people that you feel we should have on here as guests that are doing the same thing? People that come to mind that you're like, they're drifting from tradition in the right way. Oh, sure. Oh, man, that list could be forever long. A couple of people that I felt like were huge motivations to me that maybe I don't, even, I don't always agree with, but um, really great innovators is uh, Jason Bangerter. Um, he worked with an agency and, and built a couple of platforms that have been used really well in the, in the local market. Um, he had uh, Nuvi, which was a social media visualization platform and, and is the CEO of Rentler. Um, Jason did things very differently, um, did not bend on where he was headed. His vision was clear. Um, he is outspoken about the fact that he's a futurist, right? And, and sees things very differently. Another one I would uh, have you invite is Logan Wilkes, who started Trust. Um, he was able to make a huge sacrifice and pivot that was a gigantic risk into his business. And he has connected so many of Utah's business owners uh, and done it in such a unique way. I've learned a lot from Logan. He's become a very dear friend of mine. And uh, what a disciplined guy. And I wouldn't say that it's the size of trust or anything that's unique, but just the impact that his business has had on this state is enormous. And I think that his impact will be here for years to come. I want to just drop like a hundred names. Um, and, you know, honestly, probably in closing, I would say Ryan Moss from Little Giant, uh, instrumental in my development and the, the grand amount of respect I have. That dude puts a book a week away and uh, and just is so inviting to continue to learn. And I've learned so much from him. So those three names probably I'd leave you with is Jason Mangator, Logan Wilkes, and Ryan Moss. Awesome. Let's kind of cut it there. Just, I'm sure there's a bunch more you would like to mention. Oh yes. <laughs> but then there'd be a ton that you wouldn't uh, be able to get to as well. So, um, anyways, we'd love to get to know them. I don't know any one of those three guys. I would so. be happy to introduce you. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Well, hey, thanks again, Matt, for for coming. We really appreciate it, and hopefully everyone can learn something from all this. And yeah, appreciate there it, Jordan. This is yeah, Jordan's, is this? Jordan's, is this? Jordan's squared. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, sweet. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Matt Frisbee, thank you so much for being on. Yep. Thanks, guys.